Good morning. If you would take out your Bibles with me. We thank Pastor Brad, our guest worship leader this morning. Appreciate that very much. First Peter, if you're not already there, First Peter is where we are studying, picking up our study in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, as we begin our study this morning, we are reminded, as, as, as often as we are, are studying through God's Word, that, that this is a continuation, and we're going to notice that right off the bat this morning. This is not Peter didn't start today when he sat down one morning and write a big number two and then start writing next to it. This is a continuation. He wrote one letter, and we see that right off the bat as we look at chapter 2, verse 1. It begins with the word, therefore, and he continues, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, You may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now, one of the goals that we have as we go through God's word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, is not only that we gain an understanding together of the verses and chapters and books we study together, but also my, my hope and prayer is that, that you learn how to, how to see certain things in God's word and study this together and, and on your own time during the week. When you're studying God's word, you see certain things that make your attention stick up. And one of those things is how we start even this this study this morning. The word that starts our study, therefore. Whenever you see that word, we need to figure out, as as J. Vernon McGee said, is what's it there for? It's there for a reason, and we need to know why. And as we talked last week, it's, it's a word that connects a previous thought with the thought that we're looking at today. We talked last week in verse 13, Peter uses the word therefore, When he writes, therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about obedience and holiness. And when he does that, he is tying obedience and holiness to what he was talking about before. He was talking about our salvation, the inheritance that we already have, the assurance of that, what we refer to and what he has called the hope that we have. So what he is saying is that because of the hope that we have, we are to live a life of holiness. That is, where, that is how therefore is used as we discussed last week. Well, in our text today, the word therefore ties directly into what he's talking about previously. And as we are going to see, he's talking about this family relationship that we have. If we look back into chapter 1, verse 17, he says, If you address as Father the One, the Heavenly Father, he's speaking against, again to a group of believers, and he's saying, If you call this Father, this, this One Father, if you call Him Father, He he calls, in verse 14, obedient children. In verse 22, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Brothers. He goes on, verse 23, for you have been born again. Using all of these terms and this discussion around, this is a family. 
This is a family unit that we have. And using therefore in verse two, or chapter 2, he is saying, because of this household that we belong to, we are to live a life of harmony. We are, to, we are to get along with one another. Now, again, looking back into chapter 1, the verses that we just looked at, verse 22 and 23, he speaks in using these terms, but he gives us in, in verse 22 some distinguishing marks of this family. The, the household recognition, if you would, to be able to look at and say, oh, I, I belong to that household. He says that we are in obedience to the truth. In order to be members of this household, we have to be obedient to the truth. The truth being that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Obedience to that truth is what ushers us in to this family. It purifies our souls, as he says. But he says also that distinguishing mark of the family is a sincere love of the brethren. Sincere, real, genuine. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's a a genuine love for each other. But he moves from this household recognition, the distinguishing marks, to a directive that he makes to the family. Look at the end of verse 22. He says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. He gives, if you would, a household rule. This is how we are to conduct ourselves in the household. Now, if you come from a household with mom and dad and kids, you're familiar with household rules, right? I, I found this list on the internet yesterday. thought this was kind of neat. Maybe this looks very familiar. Something very similar to what used to hang in your house or maybe still does. It's a list of household rules. This is, what, this is how we abide by it. And I love the fact that it was obviously one of the children that wrote it. It's kind of hard to read. I'll, I'll read it for you real quickly. Number one, no hitting, biting, yelling, or name-calling. Number two, respect one another. Ask politely for something that you want or need. I like number four, use big kid words, no baby talk or whining. Number five, no one is in charge other than mom and dad. Can you tell the youngest one wrote this? No yelling or disciplining brothers or sisters. Mom and dad's in charge, not you. Number six, shoes are to be put on the rack when taken off. Number seven, all homework is to be completed after school. Number eight, help to clear your plate after the meal table. Speak in turn, no talking over one another. Use your manners. And then number 11 through 14, no toys at the meal table, no playing in the hallway, absolutely no kicking, no throwing anything. I, and notice the no really big letters there. I have a feeling, I don't know this for sure, but I have a feeling that the child who wrote this list had to write those a hundred times. <laughs> and afterwards, they were added as an appendix to the rules of the house because they got busted. But anyway, the household rules. Well, in households, there needs to be rules. But As in any household, the parent's ultimate heart and desire is not that the kids just follow the list of rules as they're laid out. A parent's heart isn't just so that the kids get along or tolerate each other, but that they truly love each other. Every parent's desire would be that we didn't have to have number one on the list, no hitting, biting, yelling, or name-calling, because that naturally wouldn't happen if we truly love each other, right? I mean, that's the desire of every parent. 
And I love how Peter gives us our household rule as, a family, as the family of God, to fervently love one another from the heart. Now, he's not repeating himself. He says that we've purified our souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. He's not repeating himself. He's stepping it up. You see, when it says sincere love for one, love of the brethren, I'm sorry, love of the brethren is one word, phileo, the Greek word phileo, where we get Philadelphia, brotherly love. But the word that he uses next, fervently love one another, is agape. That is taking this to a whole new level. As a matter of fact, agape love is impossible outside of the family of God. It can't happen outside. You can try, but you can't. It comes because of the love that has been placed within us by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5 tells us. That's how we have this love. That's how we are able to even do this. But it is an act of the will, not of emotions. It's an unconditional love. It's not based on anything that somebody else does to or for me. And he says, this is the love that we are to have. But he steps it up even greater by adding the word fervently. Fervently agape each other. Fervently, that means all out, stretched to your absolute limits in this love. He uses this same term in chapter 4, verse 8, when he says when that love is stretched to its absolute limits, as we are to do, it covers a multitude of sins. When we are stretched to our limits, we cover one another's sins. Now, again, I, I, I feel Peter's passion in this. That this is, how, this is how we are to be described. This should define us. This is the household rule. We don't need a whole list of them. This does it right here. And I, I feel that same heart from Paul when I read in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, therefore, again, therefore, because we're in this family, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Again, we can get rid of a whole list of stuff, household rules, if we just follow these guidelines. If we follow this household rule, we can get rid of so many of the other checks and, and do's and don'ts and all of that. Well, Peter continues finishing out what we talked even on last week. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now we talked last week that, that all flesh is like grass. It, it's temporary. It dies. It, it's, we're, in the, we're all in the process of dying. And we all will, unless the rapture comes before, we will all go through that process of taking our last breath here, and as Christians, then taking our first breath in eternity. But I believe that in context, as we read this through, he's talking about this love that we are to have for one another, the way that it, that it is done. And it's going to continue into chapter 2 with this same process. 
So I believe in addition to talking about the temporary nature of our flesh, he's also saying that all acts of the flesh are temporary at best. If we try to follow this command in our own efforts, we will fail. At best, we can get along with each other temporarily. We're going to get more on that in a moment, but follow the flow of what Peter is saying here. And he continues now, chapter 2, verse 1, where we started. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, because of this relationship that we have, because of this, this family relationship and the rule that we are to have to love one another fervently from the heart, do this. Put aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. Putting aside, it's like it's the idea of taking off a filthy old garment and leaving it behind. Not putting it somewhere saying, I'll come back and get it later. Taking it off and walking away from it. That's the idea of putting aside. Notice he uses the word all three times. He's underscoring this, that we need to get rid of it all. Completely, totally. All malice, that's the desire to harm someone. Now and again, sitting in a room full of Christians, we're going to look around and say, well, I'd never do that. I would never desire to hurt anyone. Maybe make them uncomfortable, but never hurt them. Right? I mean, we can, we can justify our behavior by categorizing it. Again, notice the word all. All malice. All desire for for hurting someone, and that doesn't necessarily mean physically. More than likely, when it's speaking specifically here, hurting their reputation, hurting their standing. All deceit, that's dishonesty, any type of falsehood, including the intent to be dishonest, to mislead. Hypocrisy, being two-faced, insincere, that's got to be put away. We need to be real and genuine. Envy, that's resenting someone else because they're doing well. And that just leads to bitterness and, and, and division and, and all sorts of other problems. We need to put that aside. All slander, all gossip, all speaking against one another. Peter is saying that has no room in the household of God. That needs to be taken off completely. But just as, in, as any good teacher not only do you take something off, but you need to refocus your efforts, and that's what he tells us in verse 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. And I love this, this illustration. I love it when illustrations are given to us. It helps us to understand the truth of what the person is trying to get across. And he gives us such a beautiful one because many people, most people, have had experience with newborn babies, even if, even if it's not your own you know of someone or are close with someone, so you've had that experience of a newborn baby, and he's specifically speaking to feeding a newborn baby. And when we look at that, we get a beautiful illustration and understanding of what he's trying to say. Now, we've been blessed in our house over the past 10 months to have a newborn baby. My wife and I never thought we'd have that privilege again but our son our son and his wife moved in with their their newborn baby and our our grandson and we've had that privilege and we've gotten to see this again firsthand and we understand that when it comes to feeding a newborn baby that they're on a pretty strict schedule 
and they let you know about it. It's a frequent feeding schedule. It's not intermittent. It's not occasional. It's frequent. As a matter of fact, so often it's like, man, again, really? (laughs) You just ate for crying out loud. But I want more. The frequency of the feeding is something to understand. I I believe that's one of Peter's main points here is it's not just occasional that that we are taking in God's word. It needs to be regular. It needs to be scheduled. It It needs to be something that if we don't, man, I know it. I know it. I can feel it. But also, the fervency for which a newborn baby lets you know it's time to eat. It's not, hey, if you don't mind over here, you know, I'd like to eat. No. Again, if you've been around a new, if you haven't been a while, let me remind you what a conniption is. I mean, blowing a gasket, right? I was, I was on, my, on, on my way up to the men's retreat a, few, a couple of weeks ago, and I was with our, our speaker, Ken Graves, and he, he said, he goes, I'm just waiting for somebody to patent the newborn baby workout because we were talking about exercise and different things. He says, I guarantee you it will catch like wildfire. It's just, just imagine a newborn baby craving milk and just imagine the exercise, screaming at the top of your lungs and throwing your arms and your feet in every direction until you get what you want. I mean, just think of it. You're using your core. You're using your cardio. You got all of your appendages going in all these different directions. I mean, what a workout. But the determination, I guess, that I'm not going to stop until I get what I want. The tantrum that they throw. Now, again, now we look at, look at newborn babies throwing a tantrum, and we all know that as adults, we never throw tantrums, right? Unless, you know, it's 10 minutes till kickoff and the cable's out, right? You, I, I don't think you understand this, man. The bears are on. You got to get this thing hooked up right now, you know? Not next Monday, right now, right? Tantrum. Like, you can't find the remote, right? I mean, the pillows are going everywhere. I mean, it's just, I, I, it's, it, a tantrum is happening. And I, I say that because, you know, yeah, we could, we could probably all relate somewhere in there where we've gone that, to that way. But do we have that same fervency when it comes to the Word of God? What if? You have, your, you have your scheduled time in the morning, and you wake up, and you have that, that half an hour set time set aside, which I recommend every one of us should do. Set aside that first time in the morning. We'll get to why in a second. But half hour, hour time frame, you get up, you get your cup of coffee, you sit down at the table, and you open God's Word, and you, you read it, and you pray through it. Great practice all of us should have. But what if you couldn't find your Bible? Would you have that same fervency as the kickoff is about to start, would you be going through the house, I can't find my Bible, I, can't, I, I, I need it, I need it right now? Or would it be like, oh, man, that's too bad, maybe tomorrow? I'm not saying, I'm just saying. And the, the, the bottom line again is that that we, we desire this. This should, this should, as newborn babies, this desire within us that only the milk will satisfy. As for the, like the mother, the mother's milk, the newborn baby, it, it, again, crying, screaming, kicking, flailing, and you don't have any formula. You don't have any milk around. A Big Mac doesn't fix the problem. 
A Twinkie doesn't, doesn't fulfill, doesn't Snickers, doesn't satisfy right now. Only the milk will. And there's so much spiritual junk food out there. And if we don't, and this comes back to my point, if we don't make God's word, taking it in, a priority in our life, first thing, by the way, is I would recommend in the day, if we put it towards the end of the day, we get so filled with so much other junk during the rest of the day, our hunger and our passion for God's word can be, can be filled with other things. I mean, I love barbecued chicken. I especially love my barbecued chicken. I, have, I got it dialed in at home. And I love it when that's what's going to be for dinner and my wife is going to fix this, some, one of her salads. She's, got just, she's, got, she's real creative when it comes to salads. Just love that. So when I know that that's happening, I'll skip lunch sometimes because I want to be really hungry when I get home. But if I stop on the way home, even though I've been so excited for this meal and I can't wait for it to happen, but I stop on the way home and I get a half a dozen apple fritters and I eat them on the way home, no matter how excited I was to get there, I'm not hungry anymore. I don't have the same passion to devour that chicken that I had when I left to go home. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. And it's not just so that it's something we check off the list that now it's done. Again, like newborn babies, that's not their thing. Oops, mom, looks like I, I missed that on my to-do list. It says I'm supposed to eat. No, it's, it comes from an earnest desire, not, not some duty to do. But it's, it's more than that. It's, it, it, it's, there's a reason for it. And Peter tells us, so that by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. Again, looking at this picture again, the baby desires this milk so that its body will grow. And we are to desire the word of God so that spiritually we grow. Our growth is dependent on a regular intake of God's word. If we don't take in God's word on a regular basis, our spiritual growth is stunted. Now notice, he says, grow in respect to salvation. What does he mean by that? To grow in respect to salvation. I mean, isn't salvation a one-time thing? We are saved in a moment? Yes. Paul writes this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What are Paul and Peter saying here? If, if salvation is a one-time thing, a, a moment in time when we are born again, how do we work out our salvation? How do we grow in respect to our salvation? Well, again, we need to understand that, as we've talked about before, eternal life lasts how long? eternally, forever. And when does it begin? When we are born again, at that moment. At that moment, when we, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we turn from our sin and we turn to him, receive that free gift, that is called justification. It is just as if I'd never sinned because Jesus took all of my sin on his account. That's all I bring to the table is my sin. I Bring it to him, and he gives me his righteousness. That one moment, I am forever sealed. I am born again. I am forever justified. 
one moment I will stand in heaven. All of us born-again believers will stand before our Lord. In 1 John chapter 3, it tells us, and, and we will be like him. That is our glorification. But between justification and glorification is what is called sanctification, this process that we go through. This, this part of our eternal life that fits between justification and glorification, and that is what both Peter and Paul are talking about. To grow in regards in our sanctification, to grow in our walk. Now, there's a great commentary that Peter gives us on his own here. By the way, the best commentary you'll ever find on the Bible is the Bible itself. And you'll learn that as you continue to study it. But flip over a couple of pages. We're not going to spend a lot of time here because we're going to study it in depth in a few weeks when we get to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, quite possibly my favorite chapter in the Bible. That along with Philippians 2 and Isaiah 55. Okay, I got, I got a lot of them, but this is one of them. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. In verse 3, if you are a note taker in your Bibles, please make sure that has granted us everything is underlined. God has granted us everything everything we need to live a life of holiness, to live a life of godliness. He's already given us everything. Not he's gotten us, gotten us started and he'll give us more along the way. Has granted to us everything. Now, down in verse five, it says, now for this very reason, also applying all diligence. Now this is saying, Use your effort. You need to work this out. Maximum effort. Applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Down in verse 10, he says, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. This is, I can't wait to study this in more detail, but what, what Peter is telling us in direct correlation to what we were just talking about before, working out our salvation, growing in respect to our salvation, is we already have everything that we need. Just like a newborn baby, again, using the illustration, a newborn baby already has everything it needs within him to become an adult. Their body parts aren't added as he grows. Everything is already there. It just grows bigger. It grows more mature. It grows stronger. I mean, I'm amazed when I, when I have my grandson's hand in mine, and I think, my hand was once that small. As I, as I hold him in my arms, I was once this small, but because of the other things that were supplied as I went along, the air that I breathed, the water that I drank, the food that I ate, the exercise that I've done, the diet that I've been on to eat better, I now am the way I am. 
And the same is true in our spiritual growth. Everything that we need to grow spiritually, to fulfill what God is calling us to do through the Apostle Peter, to love one another fervently from the heart, has been provided for us. Everything has been provided. I, uh, a couple of months ago, we just recently moved into our, our new home down in Waddell and was talking with Mike before the service one time, and he I was explaining to him about how our, our garage is significantly smaller than the other one, and I don't have room for the, all of the stuff that I used to have. We used to have these built-in cl- cl- cupboards and everything. We don't have those anymore. And he says, man, you got to check out these shelves that they sell at Costco. They're, they're these four-by-eight shelves. They suspend from the ceiling and the whole thing. And I went online, and I looked at the pictures, and I was thinking, man, this is awesome. This would be perfect. So I ordered three of them, and they got delivered. And I opened them up and I put all of the parts out on my garage floor. Doesn't look anything like the picture. <laughs> I, and I, I, I'm standing there and I'm, I'm not the handiest guy in the world. I mean, I, that's, that's an understatement. And I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do with, with all of this stuff? Everything is provided for me here to get the picture to look exactly the way it does on the cover. And then I noticed this little white booklet in there. The instruction manual. And in the instruction manual were step-by-step instructions on how I put these shelves up suspended from my ceiling in the garage. And you know what else was in that instruction manual was a list of the tools that I needed to do the job right. So I got the tools that I needed, and I needed to follow the instruction manual for the shelves in order to put them up. I mean, now that sounds really simple, but... But let's, let's put this together with what we're talking about here. The instruction manual that we've been given is right here. Everything that we need has been supplied within us. And here's our instruction manual on how to use everything that's been given to us in order to live a life of godliness, in order to love one another fervently from the heart. It's all in here and instructed here. It's all there. But just like the instruction manual for the shelves... There's things in there that are complicated. And if I decide, man, step two looks really hard. I'm just going to step onto that step three. It's not going to work. It's not, it's not going to work. If I say, man, this, I, look, I flip through this thing, and man, this is really complicated. You know what? When I built those shelves in my kid's room, that was so much easier. I'm going to go get that instruction manual. That's not going to work either. And if I decide that I'm going to use the tools, different tools than what's outlined in the instruction manual, again, I'm going to run into problems. Let me tell you, there were times when I'm using the stud finder after a while and I'm hanging on the ceiling, I got sweat dripping down and I'm sitting there and I'm getting it all lined up and then I drill the hole and I miss the stud. After I did that five or six times, I'll tell you the tool I wanted to use. I wanted to use an axe and a crowbar and just rip the drywall off the ceiling so I could see the studs and just hang it up there like that. There were many times during the installation I wanted to use a sledgehammer. I'm not, I I confess. But it's not my house. We're renting it, so I didn't. (laughs) You know, we're given a list of the tools that we're supposed to use. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, those are the tools we're supposed to use. And love, joy, peace, yeah, those are, I like those tools, right? 
patience. Uh Uh-oh. Really? Can't, 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 instead of patience, can't, can't I use, uh, oh man, rebuke. Yeah, can I use that tool instead? Instead of patience? No, let me, let me tell you, there's, there's some, there's certain things about tools. And again, me being the front of the line, I'm not a real handy guy. I'm, I am nowhere near. There's a lot of tools that are not safe in my hands. I, I could cause a whole lot of damage, both structurally and personally, using, using certain tools. I have, no, I have no right using them. Rebuke is one of those tools that is used very sparingly. But patience is a tool that's available to all of us. We need to use that tool. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. Those are the tools that we need. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit is that list. And you have all of those tools. Completely available at your disposal. And as we use these gifts, and as we follow the instructions, we're able to do what God calls us to do. Now, again, going back to this idea of, of exercise... Because, because I, I, I like the parallel, too, as I'm thinking through this. As we grow, and as we grow and mature in adulthood, we have the opportunity to exercise to make ourselves better physically, right? I mean, all of us have that at our disposal. Different degrees of it, but we have, all of us have the opportunity to exercise. And quite frankly, those of us who do are doing it because we got sick and tired of the way we used to be. We don't, we don't like the way we, we didn't like the way we felt. We didn't like the way we looked. I, got a, I, I went on a, the exercise routine that I'm on a few years ago to lose all the weight because I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. So I focused on that. And the same is true with us spiritually. Are you tired of being cranky and irritable and not getting along with people? Are you tired of, of, that, of that depressed state? Are you tired of feeling envious because somebody else is succeeding in a certain ministry or you're tired of, of that feeling, we'll do something about it. Exercise. Use, use, the, use the tools that have been given with the instruction manual. You see, Peter's speaking to the, the church corporately. He's talking to us individually. We're also called in this idea of fervently loving one another from the heart, to to come alongside each other. Fervently loving someone isn't a passive activity. We come alongside and we help each other. See, we're all in different phases, all in different categories, if you would, different slots along the way in this sanctification process. All of us are growing more to be more and more like Christ. That That is our call, is to be like him. But all of us are in different stages along the way, and we need to encourage each other. We need to come alongside one another. Again, Going back to this whole baby analogy, one of the, one of the things, too, is when I, when I drop my, son, my grandson off in the nursery or I pick him up, I see all of the other babies. And it's, it's interesting. If you just spend a few minutes in the nursery, it's kind of a fascinating thing. It's almost like they're talking to each other. They're, they're, they're like communicating in a language that we don't understand. And if we could decode it, I wouldn't wonder if the conversation wouldn't be something like this. Hey, hey Johnny, good to see you. I'm glad you're back this week. I've been meaning to ask you, would you pray for me? Because I'm trying to talk to my parents and communicate something to them, and they keep giving me the, the wrong thing. 
It's not at all what I want, but, but I think they think that's what I'm trying to say. So would you pray for me that I'd be able to communicate better with my parents? And he says, yeah, you bet, you bet. I'd be glad to. But would you pray for me? Because I can see you guys over on that side of the couch. You guys are, are, are walking. And I've been crawling for a long time. And I'm trying to get this walking thing down. But every time I take a step, I fall straight down. So would you pray for me that I'd be able to walk soon? And then, and then little Timmy over in the corner goes, hey guys, I hear you talking. Could, could I add a prayer request? I'm struggling with this whole potty training thing. And, and, and you know, I, 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 can sell, I can tell mom's getting frustrated and she doesn't want to be, but I, I'd really like to get this thing nailed, okay? So could you pray for me with that? And if we could hear that and we could understand that and we could communicate back with them, what would we tell them? We'd tell them, hey guys, hang in there. We understand we were all there. Each one of us, all of us, needed, needed to learn how to walk and talk and, and where to go to the bathroom and when. We all had to go through that. But you know what? We're all doing it. We're all doing it now. Hang in there. We encourage one another along the way. We don't say, man, seriously? You've been in this nursery for three months now and you're still struggling with that? But that's so often how we can be. We can be so judgmental. We can be, man, you... You've been, you've been coming to this church for six months and you're still not, you, st you, st you still don't have those verses memorized? You still aren't doing this? I can see you're still struggling with that? No, we need to, we need to understand we all learn at different levels. We all learn at different paces. We're all at different phases in our walking. We're called to fervently love one another, all of us, loving one another in this process. As difficult as it, as it may sound as we go through the instructions and we're thinking at times, man, I can't, I can't do that. I just, I, I've tried this. I can't do this. Again, like we talked about last week, we say that. We're setting ourselves up for failure. Either God's a liar or he's, he's telling us the truth. And he said he's given us everything that we need. So if you say, I can't do that, you're wrong. With God's commands come his enablements. He will never command us to do something that we can't do in his power, in our own strength. If you're failing, it's because you're still trying to do it on your own. Colossians 1.29 says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. It's not a sit back and say, let go and let God, let him take care of it. It's, it's his responsibility. No, he says, I labor, striving. There's active work involved that Paul is saying here. But, he says, according to his power, which actively works within me. When he commands us to do something, he gives us the ability to do it. We just need to exercise in faith that we have that power in us. Just as he commanded the man with the shriveled hand, for like, he's, he's walked around with this shriveled hand his whole life. Jesus sees him in the synagogue. He says, stretch out your hand. He could have said, I can't. I can't. My whole life I haven't been able to. He didn't. He just, in faith, stretched it out. And there his hand was. Jesus commanded it. Boom. The, the story of, of Jairus' daughter. Jairus comes to Jesus and, and says, come heal my daughter, she's sick. But before Jesus can get there, she dies. But Jesus walks into the room. She's laying there on the bed and he says, little girl, get up. And with that command, life went into her. And the same is true with us. When he commands us, life enters in us to do what he's commanded us to do. And I love how 
with this and, and understanding this. Peter saw all of this. Peter witnessed all of this. He's not asking us to do anything that he didn't see happen. The glory of God and the power of God. But you know what? I, I love how he, in verse 3, he draws to us just this, this whole idea of, all right. He says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Basically, what he's saying, is it really too much to ask when you think about what God did for you? When you think about the love that he's shown you, the kindness he's shown you, the love, the mercy, the grace that he's poured out on you, is it too much to ask that you do that for each other? Again, I, I look back at what Paul wrote in, in Philippians. And I'm going to ask these questions and, and it, it solicits a response. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any encouragement in Christ? Yes. yes. Is, is there any consolation in love? Yes. Of course there is. Is there any fellowship in the Spirit? Yes. Any affection, compassion? He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He sets it all up by saying, guys, we have been given this incredible gift. We have encouragement in Christ. We have fellowship in the Spirit. We've been shown amazing love by our Heavenly Father, and it should be our natural reaction then to show that love to one another. And ultimately, as we finish the, our study and prepare our hearts for communion, we need to look back into chapter 1 again, what Peter is saying. This whole idea of family and how we came to this family. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You were redeemed. You were purchased out of slavery to sin. That's how we come into this family. And again, not with silver or gold, but by Christ's precious blood. And he goes on in verse 20 and 21, as we've touched on a couple of times in the past couple of weeks. This was something that God ordained from eternity past because he saw our condition from there and knew that there was nothing we could do to fix the problem ourselves. So he set salvation plan in motion that Jesus, God himself, would step out of heaven that he would live a perfect, sinless life, and that he would die on the cross in our place, shedding his blood on our behalf to cleanse us from all our sin so that we could have a part of this family. Again, Peter, as drawing this whole conclusion and this thought together, saying, you know, guys, we've tasted this kindness. And we need to share that kindness and that love with one another. It should be our natural reaction. So as we prepare our hearts now to celebrate communion, to, to have this family meal together, we need, to, we need to examine ourselves. We need to ask ourselves some questions. 
And the first question is, for anyone, for all of us here, are we members of the family? Have you been born again into this relationship, into this family? If you are here today and you have not, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in him and him alone for your salvation, it's simply a matter right now of responding to the Holy Spirit, placing on your heart that truth. You know right now that I am speaking to you, that the Holy Spirit is touching you right now. And it's a matter right now where you sit, confessing your sin, confessing that you are a sinner. That is agreeing with God that you have sinned against him. And you turn from that sin, that is repentance. Repenting is turning from your sin, you turn to Jesus and you receive the free gift of salvation. There is no gimmicks. There's no hoops to jump through. It is a heart response to the Holy Spirit right now in your heart. We need to be members of the family to join in the family meal. But we also need to come with clean hands and pure hearts. So as our worship team comes forward and our ushers come forward to distribute the elements, we need to ask ourselves, are we treating each other as, as members of the same heavenly family that we have the same heavenly father is that is that our hearts towards each other have we truly set aside all of those things the malice the envy the jealousy an honest assessment sometimes we have to ask ourselves these hard questions we need to allow the holy spirit to reveal the truth to us so let's go before him in prayer and, and ask that that work happen amongst us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the amazing truth that we are your children. That you are our heavenly father. We love the fact that you have family in mind. And Lord, we confess to you now that we so often don't treat each other as family should. That we're more caught up in our own rights, the way we're treated. We're more, we're more concerned with how others look at us and view us than we are in making sure that my brother and my sister have what they need. So Lord, I ask right now that you would just examine our hearts. Show us if there's any any wrong way within us. And Lord, as you do that, your command is that we confess that to you. So we do. We confess our sin to you, Lord. And your word tells us that when we do, you are faithful to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we want to have clean hands and pure hearts before you as we celebrate this joyous thing. Lord, do your work in us. Have your way amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.